Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. Watch and listen to Higher Learning where we dissect the biggest topics in black entertainment, politics, and sports. Twice a week, we react to the most important and timely conversations, often inviting guests to offer unique perspectives. Listen to Higher Learning free only on Spotify. This is the second time we've done this. Mm-hmm. Anthony Jeselnik is here. Um, Grantland, I'm going to say like 2013, maybe you came by? Yeah. Somewhere there, 12, 13? Yeah. This one's going to be a lot easier because you won't be as nervous. You know, it's like the second <laughs> time around. Point. Yeah. I was shaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was excited to have you on the last time. And I think I pursued you as a guest, which I don't normally do. Probably. Normally I have third parties, but that one... I was like, I need a Jesselnik. I got to dive into this guy. See yeah, I was psyched. They even like knew who I was. You know, yeah. So like I, I ran into uh, Kimmel a few weeks ago, and he just quoted one of my tweets to me word for word. And I was like, that I was shocked. Like, And he was like, oh, yeah, Bill and I, Bill yeah. Simmons and I, like uh, screenshot back and forth your tweets all the that's time. Not, that's not uh, a lie. Yeah. Me, Sal, yeah. Jimmy, and uh, Daniel Callison, my old producer there, every once in a while you'll have a tweet. And it's, we had this text chain that if if anybody ever hacks it, we're all done. But yeah. um, sometimes you'd be like, man, fucking Jesselneck still still doesn't give a shit. It's the best. That's how I everybody know. gives a shit now. You're like one of like the five people left that just does not care. I'm the last guy. I think you can do it. But I know I might be in trouble when someone texts me great tweet. When they don't like retweet it or comment on Twitter, they just text it to me. I'm like, oh, you can't endorse this, but you think it's funny. Oh, it's like stealth. Exactly. Stealth praise. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that way about almost all your tweets. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not retweeting this, but I fucking loved it. Every t- before I send any tweet, I my I like my thumb hovers over that send button. I'm like, hmm, and I almost always, 99 of the time, hit send, and then it's like, let's see. You don't, you really don't know. You really don't know what's gonna happen. I used to be there, and and around 2012, I just couldn't do it anymore because yeah. uh, the the fear of the backlash. And the problem is when you're doing tweets like that, and if you go back and read like my tweets in 09 and 2010, it's like you're just firing them out and some of them hit, some of them don't, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. And we've removed that, uh, I don't know, that adventure, an it's, adventurous nature of Twitter where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Nobody wants to find out anymore. It's become a press release, you know, I, yeah. and I worry that's going to happen with podcasts. Mm. So there's going to be a way you can search podcasts. Ooh. For for terminology and start getting people that way because Twitter it's easy you just search like certain keywords on Twitter and you can find everyone's yeah everyone's stuff but podcasts you can and people say some wild shit on podcasts that it could uh, that could be the next frontier for I to always get but especially longer ones about eighty minutes in I start to get groggy that's yeah. when like the weird shit starts coming out weird, exactly weird basketball opinions you start going hey Chris Paul's a loser he can't win and then you're like well did I say that I, why did well, I say that? At the I end walked of out of, I did a Joe Rogan's podcast the other day. And it's like, yeah, let's hear hours. about that. And, uh, it what does good, he like, do? He like tries to wear you down. What, I what don't, is the I think it's methodology diff- on that? It's different with me because I'm a comic that he knows, you know, we see each other almost every day at the store. So it's a yeah. different vibe than if he's trying to really get something out of someone. And I was like, I don't really remember saying anything edgy or controversial, controversial or anything. And then I see like a, a blog the next day being like, Anthony Jesselnik calls Jerry Seinfeld aggressively corny. And I'm like, yikes. I did not remember saying that, but I guess uh, I guess I did. That's the thing. And it, this really worried me with podcasts once mine started to take off during the Grantland days. Like people can pull stuff out of context in a conversation and it doesn't account for tone. No. It doesn't account for can you hear in my voice? I'm joking as I'm saying it or any of that stuff. What the, what the context of the whole conversation was. And they could just pull out the little tidbit. Yeah. And that becomes the thing. Mm-hmm. I think people are wiser to that. What's weird is this is one of the few benefits of the Trump presidency. I feel like where, um, people are actually more suspicious of things like this now. Absolutely. We're in a new era where people are like, well, wait a second. Are we sure that? Yeah. That's doesn't pass the smell test. And they'll at least kind of examine it for a second. It's crazy. I mean, even where that's going with like the mm. deep fakes thing, yeah. we can like make someone's face yours and do a thing that like every video is going to be suspect. Pictures are already suspect. Yeah. Uh, but people still believe in Jesus. You can't fake so, comedy. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus and comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I read this whole story. I think it was on like Wired. 
one of those places about deep fake porn. So this is like the new frontier. Mm -hmm. And these people spend days putting like Emma Watson's face on some porn actress. And yeah. then they put it out there like it's her. Well, I've done that. That's like I took like Scarlett Johansson and put my face over hers. And I <laughs> and then I use that. You know what I mean? It's, it's hot as hell. It's really good. <laughs> That'd be pretty creepy. Yeah, super creepy. <laughs> I haven't seen one that's not like creepy, but when they're well done, they can be uh, they can be funny. What is what? How does Kyle Dunnigan do the uh, the Instagram stuff he does? Where he he's doing some sort of it's not a deep fake, but he's blending. I think it's like just a really good deep fake where he also does the impression. Like yeah. it's like a deep fake done as well as it possibly can be. I think those are great. It's super I think creepy. He's, yeah, I, it's really good, and it's also like kind of haunting. Mm -hmm. But it's like where Jordan Peele did that commercial, like warning you against deep fakes, where he's doing Obama's voice and it looks, it sounds exactly like him because it is, it's like four dimensional. Yeah. You know, if you can do the voice too and the mannerisms, you can do a great deep fake. But if it's just slapping an actress's face on a porn star's body, you can kind of tell. You know? So you're in the, I'm catching like the tail end of your press tour for your Netflix special. It's honestly a never-ending press tour now with Netflix because you can see it forever. So it, it's almost yeah. it used to be like two weeks out to start promoting. Now that's worthless because everyone hears Netflix and they want to go watch it right away. Yeah. So if you're in a day early, it's a waste of time. Right. So you had one in what fifteen? Uh, for for them, for 2015. Yeah, 2015, and now this new one. What did you learn from the 2015 one that surprised you? Because you think about like the history of the TV comedy special. So it goes back to like you're talking to HBO early. Yeah. That was when comics wanted to get on initially. They get my either on the Young Comedian special or get maybe get an hour or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then it became Comedy Central, half hours, maybe possibly an hour. Then it kind of shifted back to HBO and Showtime. And now it's this whole Netflix era where it pops out of nowhere. And people can see it in like 175 countries. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's changed everything. It's it's so weird that I've this is my fourth hour fire in the maternity ward. When I went on tour after Thoughts and Prayers, that's when I noticed. You know, you in see 15. stuff on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. When, um, yeah. When that came out in 2015, and then I went on the road uh, all of 2017, all of 2018, and you just saw a much bigger audience. Not only that, but if I would mention older work. Like if I mentioned uh, Caligula or Shakespeare, which were my first two hours that were on Comedy Central, no one knows what I'm talking about. Really? Like in Thoughts and Prayers, when I talk about my Comedy Central show, most of the people who are watching it don't know what I'm referring to. Because I never say Comedy Central. I never say the name of the show. They're just Netflix people. And they really don't. Like people keep calling this my second special. I'm like, it's my fourth. <laughs> but but to, to, it may as well be my second. Is it almost be smart for Netflix to buy the other two and just put them... I wish on there, to so you'd, when they searched you, they all came up. Like the first one was an album. The second one, Caligula, was a special, and I really wanted that to go to Netflix when Netflix blew up. And Comedy Central and Netflix are at each other's throats. Yeah. Neither one wants to help the other in any way. Every comic wants their stuff on Netflix, even when it's older, and Comedy Central will not budge. People like Jimmy Carr was like, you should re-record your first album, Shakespeare, as a special for Netflix. And I'm like, that material is 10 years old. Like, I, there's no way I want to revisit that. And that's a big 10 years. Yeah. Late and 2000s, people were still Actually, 2000, crossing the lines. 2010. Yeah. So, yeah, that's when that came out. It just, it would feel, it, telling an old joke to me just feels stale coming out of my mouth that I don't want to do that. Unless you're Jerry just Seinfeld. Paycheck. I, I don't I'm know. Sorry, I was, I'm kidding. I don't I know how Seinfeld. he, I, I, no, listen, I love Seinfeld. I've never met the man, but his movie comedian, the documentary changed my life. To the point that I consider the day that movie was released to be the day I started doing stand-up. But I just, I went to see really? a show. Yeah. Yeah. It just told you everything you had to know. As someone starting out who was like scared to go to an open mic, that movie showed Seinfeld having to go to an open mic, having to go and deal with like having no material and building. That it was just like, oh, you just do what he did. And if he can go through it, then I can't. You know, if he's that big, then I can I do it. I love that but special. Never met him. The new one, the one where he kind of goes back and revisits? No, I love the, the comedian. Oh, comedian, yeah. That movie, I watch it once a year. I feel like that was before its time. Because Absolutely. if that came out now, it would be a much bigger deal. Yeah. Because you would be able to push it better. I forget what channel had it. Was it Comedy Central? No. No, no it, was it was a movie. It was a movie in, in just a couple theaters. And then you rented it. It was you, like back in the rental rent pay-per-view It was days. one of those where you couldn't eat. It wasn't even streaming forever. Yeah. You had to buy the DVD on Amazon or something. Now it's on Netflix. But I think if it had just debuted on Netflix today, it would be huge. It would be huge. I think, I mean, I saw Seinfeld twice in the 80s. They're talking like 
because he was like one of the original Letterman guys. Mm-hmm. So he's been doing it for 40 years. I think when when you hit like your 60s and you've been phenomenally successful, I don't understand part. A lot of comedy comes from, you know, either self-loathing or you're mad about something or there's some sort of conflict that it's coming out of. And, and you if ha- your conflict's been removed from your life, I don't know how you do comedy. That's a tough thing. Like I ran into Chris Rock and I was like, what are you working on stand-up wise? Yeah. He's like, nothing. Like I, I was on tour with him for a while. He's like, I'm doing this special. And then I owe Netflix another one. He's like, maybe this summer I'll start working on the new material. And I see him, this is a year later. And I'm like, what have you, what have you been doing? He's like, nothing. He goes, I'm too happy. Yeah, that's like, I'm too ter- happy to Isn't be working death on for comedy. Right yeah, it really is. Like right now, I should be working on the new hour right now, but I'm so satisfied with this last one that I'm like, <laughs> I need to wait till that wears Victory off. Lap. Exactly. I need to wait till it wears off to go out because I'm so proud of that that like going up and bombing with new material is so unappealing. But at a certain point, I'll be like, no, let's go. I need this. Need your your manager should have paid some writer to do just total hit piece on the on the special. Oh, get your juices flowing. That would have done it. That would have done it for sure. This piece of shit. How do we keep allowing this guy? Yeah, I keep like what? I keep waiting for something to happen that'll tick me off. But people are afraid of you now. Yeah, but usually still something makes me mad enough that I'm like, I've I'm I'm gonna go prove everyone wrong, and I haven't uh, I haven't found that yet. So this is a compliment and an insult. Maybe this will get your juices going for the next special. Please, you're the greatest roast battle judge of all time. Thank you. It's a compliment and an insult. I don't see how it's an insult. Okay. I think, it, I why, it would it be, why would it be an insult? Well, it's my favorite show, so. I mean, that's an insult to you, I think. <laughs> like, you should have better taste in television. But I, that's my favorite thing in the world to do because you can't prepare. Like, the and you're work just I put sitting in, there for 10 minutes, and all you have to do is just one killer joke. Mm-hmm. And I could see your brain, like, just percolating for, and then it gets to you, and you're just, like, ready. Yeah. I'm so excited. And like the, the work I put into <laughs> doing a roast is is infinite compared to the work you put into doing roast battle. Roast battle, you just show up. But the roast is like months of banging your head against the wall looking for the best possible joke. And the roasting, I, it's like we had too many of them. It became like professional wrestling where the guys kept going higher and higher to jump off whatever ladders. And then it was like a scaffolding. And then it's like at some point, the only way you can really shock me is to jump off like a 50 foot, you know, five story building and do a belly flop on somebody. Like at some point there's no more line to cross. Yeah. I really feel like they peaked with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. The, like I did Trump, Sheen, Trump, it was great. Sheen was great. And Roseanne was like, not, it, like it didn't matter. Like I remember doing a club the week after the Roseanne roast and it was like half filled. And I was like, I, I can't believe this. I thought for sure it would just be packed and people just didn't watch that roast. And now it's just gotten very hard to book them. You know, Twitter changed things a lot. People get real-time reactions. And uh, I agree, people have just gotten meaner and meaner, and you don't want to bomb either. Well, it's also people being mean about somebody they've never met. And I don't know, I, you know, the early days of Rose, it's a big good oral history book. But like uh, the ones that I fell in love with, Shaq used to have those comedy roasts. Mm Mm-hmm. He had a famous one. Was it the Emmett Smith one? He had two. Yeah. He had the first one was with Shaq. It was just on Shaq and Jeff Ross. That was when I fell in love with Jeff Ross. Yeah. He just like completely crushed it. It's an all black audience. He just was com- comes comes out like just firing. Yeah. And it was great. But the one of the funny parts was like half the people didn't know what his roast was. So you had people who got invited and they thought it was like a, a tribute. Yeah. Kind of yeah. So then he had the other one with Emmett Smith and and Moose Johnson, the fullback for the uh, Cowboys, was up. Didn't and he threw a chair. No, he did a he did a roast, but he didn't do a roast. It was like a speech, like they were at like the uh, about like what it meant to be a cowboy. Yeah, yeah. it was like one of those. <laughs> so Jeff Ross followed him, and he goes, "Ah, sorry, Moose Johnson did all my shit." Like he made one of those jokes. And Moose Johnson's like, "What? Like you insulted me?" Yeah, and now everybody kind of knows what a roast is. Uh-huh. The early two thousands, it was still you could sneak it by people like Moose Johnson. Yeah, yeah, but still, I think when you do the private ones, people, it's a bad idea. The private ones idea. were yeah. those, like where someone's like it's for charity or oh, it's my yeah. friend's birthday party, and I rarely get invited. I always turn them down because I'm like, yeah. you really don't want me there. You don't, you don't want it. <laughs> have you done one of those? Never. I've only been invited to like two. They have them all the time, but I'm like the last guy. You would want like that's one of the reasons I stopped doing them was because they did the Franco roast 
and they were like, they, they don't want you. And I was like, why? I kill. And they were like, yeah, but right as of right now, we've got Natalie Portman and um, Kate Hudson is on the dais. Like, we don't oh want you God. going after them. And I was like, I kind of see your point. You know, like these are like Hollywood princesses. And they ended up bailing anyway and not yeah. being a part of the roast. But once they kind of said that, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to get nicer. You know, I'm not going to uh, tone this down. I just have to be able to ramp it up. Like you said, like, how high can you go before it's just just a, a complete uh, atrocity? The saddest roast was the Chevy Chase one. Were you at that one? I wasn't at that one. That was, I don't think I was even doing comedy when that came out. But that is one of my favorite roasts. It's, it's a total shit show. It's, and it's an unbelievable YouTube extended clip or whatever. Wherever you, you have can to find, find it. on YouTube. Like yeah. I, when I did the, my first roast, I was like, Comedy Central, give me all of them so I can watch them all. And then like we've got everything except the Chevy Chase roast. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have it? And then like look it up on YouTube. Like we destroyed it. Like it's oh they destroyed it. Oh they I mean because they never wanted to rerun it. It was just a it was a, a, to them it was a fiasco. And that was the one where like they took it from the friars. Yeah. And they did it themselves. And that's why I love it so much. It's like, it's Todd Berry. Yeah. It's Andy Kindler. <laughs> it's Stephen Colbert. People who you'd never think would roast doing their version of it. Uh, but to a completely disinterested and hurt Chevy Chase. Who from five minutes in, his feelings were hurt. He wasn't selling the jokes anymore. And it was the worst three hours of his life. No, I mean, being roasted is an art unto itself. Yeah. You know, if you sit back and throw your head back and laugh every time someone makes a joke about you, you're the star of the roast. They keep cutting to you. But if you just sit there with your sunglasses on looking ticked off, then it, everyone's it's just disaster. awkward. Yeah. That's why Shaq was so great way back when. Yeah. Because Shaq has great reactions. Like you want people reacting the same way they would react during the dunk contest or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, like totally. Like throw their arms out, kick their head back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, imagine if like, the, remember the Flavor Flav roast? Oh, yeah. Imagine if Flavor Flav had thought those jokes were racist and they were all <laughs> racist. But he didn't think so. Like if he if he had just sat there and been like, what, why, how can you say that to me? What? It, that roast would have been over quick. But he laughed so hard at everyone that it was it was great. We when I was working for Kimmo, he was the MC. I think it was Courtney Love. Is that possible? It is. Courtney right? Love was, no, Courtney was on the dais for. Oh, it was I Pamela think it was Anderson? Either either Pamela Anderson. It was or Pamela Shannon. Anderson? Yeah. And uh, it was a much longer day. I actually took house. It was in the other room. Hmm. Um, it was it was like three and a half four hours. Because you see the edited version, but you don't see, you see like the best parts of everybody's roast, but mm -hmm. it's actually like twice as long. Yeah. And it drags in some points. Oh, for sure. And if you have somebody who's bad and it's not going well early, it really feels like it's an hour. But that's what they used to do is when they would show it on TV, like before they went into commercial break, you yeah. would see like the guy who played Big Pussy on The Sopranos, like saying a sentence as they went to break. And you were like, oh, I guess it didn't go well. Or he just told a story. <laughs> Definitely not. But now it's like people in the theater tweeting like, the big pussy's bombing, you know? Yeah, so they've yeah, yeah. got to show it after that. Did you ever hear about the ESPN roast that they did once? They did one for Mike and Mike and all tapes were destroyed after. I wonder how many times that's happened. Oh, I think anytime they've taped it, like 90% of the time they destroy the tapes. Can you, like you, don't can you think of a worse idea than ESPN who in the mid 2000s was pretty humorless as I can tell you because I was working there. Yeah. Being like, you know what would be good? A roast. And... And alcohol. I can't, what could go wrong? I can't believe they even had alcohol. I mean, Stuart Rose, like after the Norm Macdonald Espies, you know, monologue. Yeah. That they were Which like horrified Which had to have been another by. great moment in your life. Huge. Love that. <laughs> and I just thought that's how these things go. Like, oh, what, how amazing. I didn't think like Norm's breaking the mold. It was just like, this is how this is. But when Jimmy Kimmel hosted a few years later, I wrote some jokes for him. And he, so did in, I. In his contract, he was like, you can't, I get to do what I want. And then they cut my jokes. Oh. I had like two or three jokes that they cut out of before it went to air. And Kimmel was furious and then printed the jokes. So like my jokes got more traction than they would have if he had actually said them. But he was like, I'm never doing this again. I can't trust you. Well, the good thing was I was directly in the middle of that because I was the one promising him it would go okay with ESPN. <laughs> yeah. Just, like They I, cut I, his monologue from like eight minutes to four. And as I was watching, I was like, and, and, People always say this, but this really was true. Like, I would say he got like five really huge laughs, like big just jokes that just crushed. And I think all of them came out. So yeah. it was the combo of being edited, but then also like what they edited. He made me less funny. Yeah. He was he was out of his mind. And this is what I had been complaining to him the whole decade. I was like, ah, the fuck fucking took three jokes out of my draft diary. And so he would hear it. He he'd been hearing it from me for years, but that was way worse what happened to him because 
he knew in the room he had done well. Well, a place like ESPN, they don't need humor. You know, no. they like it. They like the idea of it. But they're like, I, I've done some work for the NFL Network, and they're even worse. They're like, don't you dare make a joke. And if you do, it better be about, like, clowns or something because you right. can't make fun of these athletes. So when you're at the ESPYs <laughs> and everyone you're making fun of is in the audience, they're not happy. Like, they, they used to do, they used to hire a comedian to host the porn awards. Yeah. Like the AV, the adult video uh, awards. And they every year the comic just completely bombed because they're making fun of porn and porn stars to an audience of porn stars. And they have no sense of humor about themselves. First of all, you act like I didn't watch that every year on <laughs> Showtime. It was always the best 10 minutes of the, of the uh, year from an unintentional comedy point. Oh, I used to fantasize about it until it got to Showtime. And I was like, well, if it's on Showtime, how good can this really be? You know, if it had been on like, if you got to like, if you got to buy it for $99.99 on pay-per-view, I would have done it every year. <laughs> it's like, Ron Jeremy's in the house. Yeah. A lot of that. It was great. Someone, I, I'm a, I, a, a porn star on Twitter got in touch with me and she was like, hey, uh, do you want to come to the Pornhub Awards this Saturday? And I go, oh, the Pornhub Awards? Yeah. Is that a thing? I guess it is now. Oh. I think it's the first year, maybe second. Great. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be out of town. She was like, oh, as if like, why wouldn't you cancel what you're doing to come to the Pornhub Awards? The Pornhub yeah. Awards. Like, who hosted the Pornhub Awards? I don't know who hosted. I have no idea. It was Aza Akira who invited me, but uh, but I did not know who hosted That was that David, Dave, my friend David Cho's old podcast partner. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a podcaster. Was she on? Oh, well, everyone's a podcaster at this point. Yes. Even you have a podcast. I have a podcast. I wanted you to have a podcast here. I know. I know. We were, we were, it was hotly debated, but uh, you were not very patient. No, that's not what happened. That's, ex that's not what we happened. We were like, let's, you're like, we were doing a podcast. Great. And I'm like, I've got an agent getting offers from five different places. And then by that time, football season started. Greg had a thing with his contract. Was, he was trying was to do the with the NFL. The season already started. That was the thing. I was like, can we just wait till next year so we can do the whole season? Yeah. And by that time, by that time that happened, then I had a deal with Comedy Central that was like yeah. for eight different things and the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was either here or there. And Greg had a thing where since he works for the NFL Network, Greg Rosenthal, there was a thing in his contract where he a non-compete clause. Yeah. We were worried if we were at the ringer. They might look at that more so closely. So why'd you just blame me? Blame Central. me. This was this was because we your could have split it through. We could have we could have gotten it through. You were our first choice for a long time. I'm still here. The words if, we don't know if we have room for point. it. We're definitely that's were, not true. Were, were said to that me didn't come from me. That's that's what was I was told. And people lie to me all the time, so I would believe it. We don't know if we have room for it. That's ridiculous. You already have a podcast. You already have an NFL podcast. And we were, and we also thought if we came here, we have like we'd have four basketball podcasts. Like our our podcast, it's supposed to be about sports, but we almost never talk about sports. Right? Maybe one off the field issue thing, but then it's like some kid brought coke to kindergarten. Like we like stuff like that. Well, that and this Greg Rosenthal was your buddy from way way back when, right? Yeah, we met from our freshman year of college, so nineteen ninety seven. What yeah. college? Tulane. Yeah. New Too late, New Orleans huh? for four years. Yeah. What was that like? It was fucking amazing, man. I mean, it was the best, the best four years of my life, hands down. I mean, cannot be recaptured, cannot be repeated. I'll go back to New Orleans once a year just to eat. Yeah. But I mean, the things you could do to your body, 18 to 22. I mean, just I can't full, even imagine. full Mardi Gras every year with like off classes, just not going to sleep for four days. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Everybody I've ever met who went to Tulane, I'm always like, oh my God, what was and everyone just laughs when they, before they answer mm -hmm. the, how was Tulane because it was oh, it's again, indescribable. That is New Orleans is my Achilles heel city. It's got every single vice that I care about, really, including like food that you can't resist, but then you feel terrible for like eighteen hours. Yes, and you're combining that with the Harris Casino that's right downtown that uh -huh. I've had a lot of great nights in, and uh -huh. all the other things New Orleans brings to the table, and I just can't handle it. It bums me out that it's not a great comedy town. Like I've gone back to Tulane to perform and they don't care. Like I've gone back to New Orleans a couple of times. So they're just, they're like Miami and they're not a comedy city. You know, they, they're just, they have their music, they have their entertainment. They just want to talk to each other and, uh, and, and drink that. Uh, and I understand. It's like LA is not a book tour city. No, no. Cause there's too much to do here to yeah. be like, I'm going to go meet this person who wrote a book that I liked. But mm -hmm. if you go to like Chicago, yeah, the best people pour out. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? What are the best comic cities? God, I mean. Like when you have like your schedule, what are the ones that you're like, oh, that place. Yes. Chicago's a great one. Chicago, the people are the best. Yeah. Chicago is always amazing. Uh, Minneapolis is a great one. 
Atlanta oh. is a great comedy town. Atlanta. Atlanta. You'd be surprised. Nashville is a really good one. And like in the South, there's just certain markets I've never been to. Like yeah. they just have their own comedians that you've never heard of. You're just like, oh, okay. Um, I think I said Minneapolis already. Uh, I love Pittsburgh. New York, of course, is great. There's very few bad comedy towns. When you're you in Pittsburgh, them. is that like when CM Punk used to go back to Chicago? Like they same kind of reaction? They no. don't know I'm from Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah, I have to. I, go, I have to go out and tell them to wear like a Steelers jersey. I have to go. I have to like. I have to tell them when I graduated high school and which high school, because they, otherwise they're just like, you don't sound like you're from Pittsburgh. You don't look like you're from Pittsburgh. I'm not Billy Gardell wearing like a jersey on my like the my yeah. album cover. Then I don't talk about Pittsburgh things that they're always they're always surprised. Wearing like a Bettis jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yager. I just had to get a new jersey. I just had to uh I had like three Antonio Brown jerseys. I was like, I just can't. After I kept like holding on to Antonio, I was like, you know what? I'm still I still love the guy. I still love him. And then when he went after Juju, I was like, man. Hey, that you, was a you, weird move. You already won. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. That felt like jealousy to me. Like somebody who leaves a TV show and then they replace him with the new lead of the show. Yeah. Like Car if Caruso had gone after Jimmy Smith's and then YPD blue or something. Yeah. He just, he, he, there's some ego stuff going on there that had nothing to do. I don't feel like with Juju. It was just like, that's the next guy. I got to lob my grenade at him. Yeah. It just made no sense. It just seemed like uh spoiled spilled milk. He was here. We didn't do a podcast, but he came in and hung out for an hour, but Antonio Brown before he got traded. And uh, I guess say he talked me into it in about 45 minutes. But I, I'm one of those people, if I'm in the room with somebody, they always win me over. Sure. Uh, but yeah, by the end of it, I was like, yeah, you do need a new team. I mean, yeah, I, screw those guys. I understood Le'Veon Bell, everything that he did. Uh, I wasn't happy about it, but I understood. Uh, Antonio really? Brown, I, yeah. It was like, you're not going to sacrifice your body for a year where they're just going to run you into the ground knowing you're gone next year anyway. True. You're just taking that money. Why not wait? It just feels like he, he lost money, though. I think he did, too. But I understood his like his point of view on it. Yeah. Antonio Brown was like, "You want on another team? Great, but why are you throwing your trade value into the toilet every chance you get for this team that's done so much for you? I mean, they paid him a lot of money. He's gotten a lot of stats. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame for what he did as a Steeler, not as for what he's going to do as a Raider. That I just thought uh, I wish he'd done it differently. What would be your opener for the Antonio Brown roast? Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck all your kids who look just like you. <laughs> Something like that. I don't, do you think he would be a bend over laughing guy or do you think he would be a Chevy Chase just sm silently smoldering the whole time? Sunglasses, Real subject. sunglasses on, wide, fake smile the entire time. Fake smile the entire time. He'd only laugh if you made fun of other people. But there's that like, <laughs> there's that in between. You just got a big smile on your face. Like when I remember when I did last comic standing, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans hated me. But he would just, but he knew if the cameras cut to him looking mad, he would look like a jerk. So he just had like a huge smile on his face all the time that I knew. Why did he hate you? Because I was not, they did, no one expected me. They thought I was going to come out and host. And I was like, no, 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 I'm taking this show over. Yeah. I'm going to make it my own and make fun of the judges, make fun of the contestants. I'm the best stand-up comic in three square miles from here. And I'm going to let everyone know. Yeah. And they cut all of that out. They cut really? it off. The, yeah. They told me, they're like, Anthony, we cut everything that made you look like an asshole. And I was like, why do you think I did the show? To look like an asshole on Last Comic Standing. That would have been so funny. I thought, honestly, I walked out of Last Comic thinking I could get an Emmy for hosting a reality show. That's how crazy it was. <laughs> and Jeff Probst was like, nope. Yeah, nope. I think, I, I think Ellen won it for Game of Games or something. No. Yeah. Who would be your dream athlete to roast right now? That who do you think would react the best? Who has the best material? I mean, everyone always talks about Shaq, like you said. Shaq is uh, Comedy Central always thinks about getting him, bringing him on a roast, or doing one of him. Um, How do you think LeBron would handle it? I think LeBron would be too controlling as to who he booked. Like Comedy Central always thinks yeah. that if they class it up, they're going to get George Clooney, they're going to get Brad Pitt. And it's like, no, if these guys wanted to do that, they would do it themselves and control it all. Yeah. Like Dennis Leary's roast way back in the day, one of the first on Comedy Central, he had total control over what jokes were used and who was on the dais. So I think that would so be So it's like problem. no Bill Hicks jokes. That's what that, those are the only things they cut. But anytime someone mentioned Hicks, Leary had it gone. Mm. There, was no, there was no reason to even do that. Now but athletes going, going do not have now. a great sense of humor. I mean, a person who would be fun to roast, like a Floyd Mayweather, 
would be uh, would be fun to go after. I think he'd be good. Like Mike Tyson is the only person I've ever felt bad about roasting. I I truly I love the man, and I felt bad making fun of him. And he was like laughing, and he was pretty high, you know, a little drunk, and like getting through it. But you just like I felt like this guy's struggling. I don't love uh, I don't love smacking him around right now because I Co- loved him growing up. Kobe would be kind of the most riveting roast, and I feel like it would end halfway through. Oh yeah. It would just be like over. Yeah, I can't even. And I think he'd be mad the whole time. I just think none of these guys have a good sense of humor about themselves. Uh, like if you got like uh, if you got like Jason Witten on the dais, you know what I mean? He would be furious within like five seconds. Like, there's no Witten. way. It'd be a lot of stuff about what was going on with his hair. Yeah. Uh, or or being the worst Monday Night Football announcer of all time. You, know, <laughs> you think, think he was all time? I can't think of anyone worse. There have I'm been some bad think. ones. There's so many bad announcers right now. We're oh, yeah. in like, this is a bad announcer heyday right now. Mm-hmm. I just can't believe it. I mean, God bless him. He's a legend, but Hubie Brown's doing the Celtics series oh, he is? this round. And it's like, I mean, he's like 88 at this point. It's just, can I have somebody who's not just going to read the box score and might <laughs> point out some stuff with the game, please? With basketball, I can't really tell how bad an announcer is. Baseball, it's no, very obvious, which is why I think there are fewer in baseball, fewer bad announcers in baseball. But in football, if you're bad, you've got like three minutes to show how bad you are in between yeah. every play that it really shines. Well, and also you have Romo, just bl- his former teammate, who is so much fun. Just killing it. Yeah, from the, from the get-go. Just that enthusiasm. I think it's weird when the guys lose it. Like, I always felt like Sims was pretty good. Not great, but he was good. He's passable. Yeah. And then the last couple of years... He was completely unlistenable. And I, I, I just want to know what happened. It's funny. I think I was just too young that he was like grandfathered in for me. That like I always remember him. I remember him more as an announcer than as a quarterback. Really? From growing up. That when he started to lose it, I didn't. It was like, oh, that's Phil Sims. I didn't realize that he was. Uh, but I, I guess you're right. I remember Madden and Summer Out. Madden never really 100% lost it. But he definitely was better in the early years, like I, th- I would say anybody. His Summerall, though, oh. it was tough to tell with Summerall that he lost it because his style was, you know, very short sentences and stuff. But when he's just getting names wrong, that's usually the sign with, with announcers. When they would show them in the booth toward the end, you were like, oh, man, <laughs> oh, no. these guys, these guys aren't going <laughs> to make it through the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was rough. So you think LeBron would control the whole thing, roast-wise? 100%. 100%. What about Tom Brady? I feel like he would be laughing the whole time and almost like not getting the jokes. I I I believe that 100%. Like I had friends who wrote for Peyton Manning on the ESPYs when he hosted. And then like a lot of times they had to explain the joke to him. And he would deliver it perfectly, but he wouldn't get what the joke was. And he's considered to be one of like the super funny athletes. Mm-hmm. And I think he can be. I just think you have to tell him. I'm sure he probably just takes direction really well. You know, some people don't. I've talked about this on pods before, but the whole concept of athlete funny, I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. When an athlete is supposed is supposedly hilarious, but it's only in the context of other athletes. Yeah. yeah. If you actually put him with a hilarious person, he's oh, not hilarious. A total disaster. Yeah. I was like, you know, OJ Simpson, you know, of course, from- uh, I've heard of him. Uh, the double murder was hilarious. <laughs> and then you go back and try to watch uh, Naked Gun now, and you're like, that's not as good. You know, he peaked. He did, dude. They should deep fake the OJ scenes and put like oh. Barry Sanders in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> Try to save it. Because that was a, like an iconic mid-80s movie. Oh, yeah. And it's impossible to watch it now without the OJ part just overshadowing It's not impossible because it. he's not in it that much. And it's so funny. And he is like, he's like the roadrunner in that movie where he's always getting beaten up and tortured that you don't like, you're laughing at him you know, getting like dragged by a bus for like, for like across the country <laughs> that it's not as hard to watch as I would have thought. It's funny watching these movies with my kids, the movies that I grew up on. And some of this stuff is so inappropriate. I mean, my kids, they're, they'll roll with anything, but like Chris, be, the original vacation, first oh, yeah. of all, they dragged the dog and there's just the leash left. And my daughter was so upset about that scene. She just wanted to stop the movie. I thought it was hilarious, but they put the grandmother on the car and they drive like a thousand miles with her. I, I don't know if they would do that now. There's a lot know. of like, I'm not sure this would go now. Yeah. I didn't see the new movies. vacation, but I was wondering like, what, how do I'd they change this to they made uh, it less funny? I, I got to imagine. I don't like when they redo the, uh, the classics. No. If I can still watch the old movie, don't touch it. Yeah. Especially a comedy. 
especially a comedy. comedy there's there's no reason to remake the Bad News Bears. Have you had offers to be like the lead in a comedy or anything? Like I've had offers to be in the lead in something that's like super low budget and it's never going to get made and never has been made. Um, but usually it's like uh, someone offered me something and I'm like, I'm on tour right now. If I wasn't, I would, I would be happy to. Like I just met with like the head of an, uh, a, uh, a movie studio. And he's like, would you ever want to be in a movie? And I'm like, yeah, if the head of a movie studio calls me his favorite comedian and says, here's a movie role for you, I'm happy to do it. Am I going to run through auditions? Right. No, I'm not. But you know what I you know what I can do. I've proven it. Give me the part, and I'm there, and I'll show up and 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 do do as well as I can. I'm but, surprised you don't have like one rom com in your background where you're like the lead guy's best friend who doesn't like the new girlfriend, and it's just doing and, these PG thirteen insults, and then a year later you really regret being in the movie. Anytime they described it as like cute, or I knew that they wanted someone just like a good looking young guy to be like the the kind of the smartass, I rejected it immediately. That was it. I, want, I wanted to play evil, not like <laughs> not like not kind of the smart Alec. You know, I wanted to be like a villain. He would have been like the Uskeed Ulrich and Scream. Like that kind of guy. It yeah. turns out you're the killer at the end. Uh, what my, you've the, taken everyone's virginity first. The example, I, the example <laughs> I always used was um, I wanted to be Craig Kilborn in um, old school. Old school. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know who else wants to be Craig Kilborn in old school? Craig, Craig Kilborn. Kilborn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty big letdown watching that. Like he, that movie was so funny, and he was just not funny in any of his scenes. Oh, you didn't think so? No. I actually enjoyed how ridiculous the casting was. That it made me enjoy his scenes. I mean, but I, I don't liked think I enjoyed it. them for the reason he thought I was enjoying them. He was in it so little that it didn't like ruin the movie for me. But I was like, oh, this is a missed opportunity. Like Jeremy Piven is in that movie and isn't yeah. funny. That I'm like, why is he? I know why he's playing this character, but they should have given him more to do. Uh, but that that movie holds up. Jeremy Piven's been in a lot of stuff that he did. You know, he was in Major League. We just did a rewatchables on Major League, and no. they cut him out of Major League. He was on the bench as an Indian, like, bench jockey guy, like, who yelled insults out, and they just cut his all of his scenes out. Really? Yeah. He's got, like, a really interesting IMDb background. That's funny. This 80s, 90s stuff. I had no idea. What about Entourage you could have done? Yeah, they never came to me for Entourage, but I would have definitely done that show. I saw every episode of that just, like, <laughs> hate watch. Just, like, I can't <laughs> believe this is a real thing. Went and saw the movie opening day <laughs> and, like, couldn't believe the people unironically <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Like, it'd be like, come on, bro. And they'd be like, ha ha. Like, are you serious? This still gets you? I hope they make another one. If they made another movie. I mean, that that movie did so badly. It did. That there's no they way they make another moment. one. They missed its moment. Oh, uh, for sure. It's about two years too late. Yeah. I think. So yeah. what happens now? This Netflix special comes out. Would you, what, I meant to ask you, what, did, what was different about this special? What was your mindset going into it? It seemed like the pace of it you slowed down even more than usual with your style. Like you were really trying to create like an atmosphere with it. Yeah. Part of that was, I just wanted the jokes to like thoughts and prayers was like an angry special. It was like, I got to get this off my chest. Whereas I wanted this just to be like, almost like a rock show. Let's just have fun and have every joke just be great and go into it that I really put a lot of thought into. And for the first time I thought about how it would be as a special. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that for years instead of just, all right, we're doing this now. What do we want to do? Then I know I wanted to work with somebody big. Like I got A24 to produce it and they were great. I knew how I wanted it to open. And I always, I kept thinking about the first show. You know, every time, every comic who tapes a special tapes two shows back to back. And the first one's usually true? bad. Yes. Almost occasionally someone will tape just one and you can tell because they don't have things they can like move around to. If something goes wrong, they have to leave it in. Usually they tape two that night in a theater or wherever. And the first one's bad. Yeah. Because I'm off. Like I'm like in my first tapings, I'm like, I'll be a little sweaty. You're just like, you want to get it right. And the audience is good, but you're just not yourself. And so this time I really was like, that first one's going to be great. I'm going to make sure it's great. To the point that I went out and had mentally prepared myself enough that it was. Like that was like, I thought that was the better show between the two tapings. Mm -hmm. And to the point where I almost didn't want to go out for a second show. I was like, maybe I'll just go out and screw around or maybe I'll just like, Maybe I'll leave. Like, who cares? And then we did the second. And then they go, uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll are here to watch the second show. And I was like, uh, my friends are here. I got to go out and kill it. You know, I, I can't let them see me do a bad show. So did that. And then afterwards, the director comes back and he's like, that, that was great. We're definitely using the second show. And I was like, what do you mean? The first show was amazing. And he's like, we got better coverage. 
in the second show. Just after watching you do it once, we were able to like, and I was like, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't just throw it out the window. But uh, Jesus, but yeah, but that was one of the things I thought uh, hard about. And it ended up, it still benefits you because when you need to go back to the first show to cut something out, you look good. It looks the same. But that was, that's what I really prepared for on this one. One of the things I like when you do comedy is when you get mad at the audience mm-hmm. and you take, you take their reactions personally and you put them on the defensive, which is a really hard thing to pull off. Uh, totally. I mean, usually I that do That can go it. really wrong in the wrong hands. I've never had a good, it, it always gets a laugh from me. If you keep it short and you go back to being normal, like if you lose your temper, it's always going to be bad. Yeah. But I usually, I yell at crowds who are laughing, you know, for not laughing hard enough. And people love that. Yeah. It's rare that, and if I know a joke is just like, this joke should be getting a bigger laugh and it doesn't. Like if a joke is too smart and that's the only reason. Like I went on like a European tour where I was like, are they going to understand what I'm saying? And they got jokes that American audiences didn't get. Really? Like they just, yeah. They know they they understand English better than they can speak it, and so they but they got all the nuance that some some American audiences just totally missed. I used to love Carson. It was my favorite Carson thing when he would take it personally when he didn't get a laugh on something. Oh yeah. And then Letterman learned to do his variation of that, and I remember the first couple of years with Kimmel, because he he was really new as a host, and it took him probably. I don't know, two, three years to almost stop when a joke didn't work. Because initially, if you, if you don't have the experience, the habit is just to rush to the next one because the silence made you uncomfortable mm-hmm. or like the lack of reaction. And it's so funny watching him now. Like he, he fucking loves it when the joke doesn't work. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's funnier than when the joke works. Oh, yeah. The facial, expre- the facial expression when a joke bombs is, uh, is better than anything else. Conan's great at it. Yeah. Um, I no, think everybody, I think- the reps of doing a show like that, eventually you're going to get good at knowing what, how to react. Oh, I think you just, that you just find a way to fill out the time. Like I'm sure the, like when I first start doing an hour, I'm doing 15 minutes. I'm thinking about that 15 minutes. Like I don't want to go short. I don't want to go long. And then you eventually just feel at home yeah. in the space and then you can let everything breathe. But like Milton Berle has, had never, never told a good joke in his entire life. His whole act was telling a joke that didn't work. And then he would react yeah. to it in a way that killed everybody. Uncle Milton. Yeah. Legendary SNL, uh, hosting performance by him yeah didn't they it's prominently uh, featured in all of the books about snl didn't he b- just break out of every sketch and he, just refuse yeah, to do he's it mugging yeah and it was like everything they never wanted that show to be yeah do you feel like um i, I i've asked a couple of people this that come through about comedy classes mm-hmm. where uh it's almost like sports where um you know, the guys in the late 80s, early 90s, they're kind of clustered and they all kind of came up doing the same clubs together and they're all friends and then they kind of hit at different points around the same time. You're kind of, you kind of have your own class, it seems like. When you were coming up, when we, when did you start doing comedy? Like 07, 08? So you're in no. there with Aziz and Aziz was in my class, Mulaney. kind of Aziz, Mulaney. I've been I would say almost 17 years in October I've been doing it. Uh, Aziz, Mulaney. Um, like BJ Novak was just like one like little class ahead of me. Yeah, you know, like I just remember like I would see BJ Novak on Premium Blend, and I would say, okay, you know what? Next year, I bet Dan Mintz gets Premium Blend, and the year after that, I'm gonna get Premium Blend, and that's how it would work. Yeah, like I just knew those guys and like their progression, and like oh BJ or Dan Mintz got the half hour. Next year, I'm gonna get the half hour, and I would. There were people that I could follow. That aspirational jealousy of like, oh, yeah. this guy got it. That means I'm going to get it next. But yeah, my class, I would say Mulaney, um, Kumail Nagiani, yeah, uh, TJ Miller, Pete Holmes. Um, yeah, those are the guys, or Hannibal Burris, I would put in that class as well. Yeah. But then we were came from all over. I was one of the only guys in, in that class from LA. I met a lot of those guys when I moved to New York for a couple of years. They were all Chicago people or New York people. Was Whitney Cummings in that class? Whitney Cummings, I think, started right after me. She would yeah. she would be in that class too. Yeah. Yeah, she started in LA. Do you feel like there's a class now, like a late 2010s group that's emerging, or is it just so different now with the internet? It feels like some people are making big leaps. Like I would put Ali Wong in my class, but for a long time, Ali Wong was under the radar, and now she's like one of the biggest things in comedy. Yeah. But she never went anywhere. She didn't come from nowhere. I've been watching her grow as long as I've been doing stand up. I got like Sebastian Maniscalco, who's like a couple yeah. years older than me. But, uh, and has always been working and now just suddenly blew up that you'd be like, okay, I guess we're in a similar class, but the people below me couldn't name one. 
Like that's how little I know now. Like if I need an opener, I've got to call people and be like, who's, who's young and good? Because I only watch people who I follow at the comedy, at the comedy store or at the comedy cellar. Otherwise, I'm not watching a lot of stand-up. What's the best place to do it in LA? Oh, the comedy. Actually, you know, I'd say Largo. If you're lucky enough to be Largo. on that on that in that league, because yeah. Largo only takes a certain kind of comic. Yeah. And you got to be able to sell the place out. You know, $30 tickets, it's a big place. Uh, the store is more like you're going to see hundreds of people or like, you know, dozens of comics. And so that's a little, it takes the pressure off. What I don't do as well uh, on a comedy store show because people are, just aren't there. All, they're not all there to see me. But at Largo, they're all there to see me and whoever I brought. So they're they're good to them. So I think I'd say Largo is my favorite with the comedy store being a close, close second. You haven't played Kimmel's place yet in Vegas. And it just opened up, it right? It just opened. Yeah. Everybody was going nuts about it. Like, they actually spent a lot of money trying to make like the best possible comedy place. Because for some reason it was didn't really happen in Vegas. But it's, it's a comedy club, right? Comedy club, yeah. yeah. I think that's the tough thing is that there's so many theaters that do it. Yeah. Like I always do the Mirage, like the Terry Fader Theater at the Mirage, it's like where Leno plays. You can just do one night and get the hell out. The idea of staying in Vegas for a weekend and having shows to do at night is like my biggest nightmare. <laughs> like my biggest nightmare. Do you gamble? A, a little no. bit. I'll, th- I'll throw money on the sports book if I'm around yeah. for that. Like last time I played Vegas. Steelers under? Uh, never never <laughs> bet on or against the Steelers. Okay, Never smart. because I don't want to like, I don't want to double lose, you know, or like win the bet and lose the game. And then you're like, you're mixed up that I just, I'll call, I'll call my friend Greg Rosenthal and be like, what four games are pretty much locks to you and do that. Then go the opposite way. (laughs) No, he's good. He's good. Yeah. I've had a, I do bet on my own team and it's been very profitable because I don't know if you Patriots have won six Super Bowls. So it's been really good. I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. to six now. I didn't know that. Yeah. Who heckled? I was in Boston. It's been great. Someone heckled me. They were like, uh, fuck, what did they yell? They, oh, a Steelers thing? It was something about Probably the Steelers. Probably a Roethlisberger And related. I was like, wait, it's, I was like, they go, Steelers suck. And I go, really? I feel like it's been forever since we lost a Super Bowl. And it was right after you guys had lost oh. your last Super Bowl. And they were like, all right, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> good yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I want the Steelers-Pats rivalry not to die. It was good there for a while. And then I felt like we really had the upper hand there for... 10 to 20 years. We've never been underneath you ever. 20, 20 years. I'm trying to remember 96. I guess you had the upper hand. It was a long time ago. I'll, I mean, I'll never forget that AFC championship game where you guys just came out of nowhere and destroyed us. Oh, um, that the, all the special teams touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. 2001. Yeah. Just, just Cordell. falling apart. Uh, That's Reggie, Cordell. Was, that was the end of his career. The oh, that was, oh, that was it for him. It was that it. Was, he was done. It was unrecoverable. Uh, that game was, was a disaster. That's why every Pittsburgh Steelers fan calls the, uh, the two Super Bowls that the Giants, uh, where the Giants beat the Patriots, the greatest non-Steelers Super Bowls. I, it seems like a lot of people feel that way. I enjoy, like, listen, I, I understand why the Patriots keep winning. I don't, and I don't want to be like a hater and root against them. Yeah. But whenever like a story comes out about like, about Brady and Kraft hating each other, or like uh, Brady and yeah. Belichick hating each other, I love it. Like, I love to hear that like they're all miserable, uh, <laughs> crying into their piles of money and Super Bowl trophies. Brady was at the Kentucky Derby last weekend with- uh, Amendola? Yeah, like tw- he still does it. Like fifteen of his dudes, I, I can't and they be- go and they they just do the whole thing. But wasn't it like a fact that Amendola was on Molly last time he was there, and he like won, and then was giving away free money? And you see him, he's wearing like mirrored I sunglasses was, and looks out of his mind. I thought I've heard variations of this story. I thought it was Welker though. You're, it was Welker. You're right. You're right. But it was, was. it? I don't think it was confirmed that we knew what he was on, but he I definitely just seemed super happy. Like, it, yeah, it was just it was like you're too. Even though you won. You're too happy and you're wearing sunglasses inside, which is something sunglasses that only... inside is tough. Yeah. Yeah. There's Unless you're like a rock star. And like if your sunglasses inside and you're chill, it's like maybe he's just sensitive to light. Maybe he doesn't want fans bothering him. Sunglasses and I'm handing out cash to whoever wants it. Yeah, that's you're probably weird. on some that's drugs. A red flag. Yeah. Do you want to make fun of Jeff Ross before we go? I'd I'd love to. I'd love to. I mean, it's hard. You know, the guy's perfect in every way. But uh <laughs> I just think it's cool that he's finally moved on from the roasting thing. It's so you know, that funny. he's just like, I'm just going to get back into just pure stand-up and just leave, love this, leave this roast thing behind, you know? It's, it's the funniest thing ever. We wrote we wrote for Jimmy for the AMAs one year in like the 06, and he was like, I got to get out of roasting. I'm going to get pigeonholed. And everyone was kind of like, why? You're This is a great lane for you. Like, really? You think I should exploit it? And 
within five years, he was the roast master general. But it was like oh, yeah. he, he was the last one to realize this is great real estate for you. He's also the only guy who could have stayed as long as he has stayed. You know, it was just he yeah. hit the right tone of like lovable but silly. Like Lampanelli had a, had like a short lifespan there. Yeah. Geraldo, I don't know how much longer he could have kept doing it. It was tough. I, he I, I he had seemed three. like a... He was like an edge too angry oh, his, to kind of have a 10-year lifespan with His it. last three or four roasts, he almost had nothing to do with. Like, it was like a lot of it was written for him. He didn't care. He would just go up and just knew how to deliver it yeah. and knock it out of the park every time. But he didn't enjoy them. Like, one of the reasons that I walked away after three was just knowing how miserable he was. Seeing how happy Whitney was to walk away after three. Yeah. That seemed like the right number to do. Yeah, Ross is, he loves Ross it. Ross will be there for, I don't think, I think, I think when Jeff Ross eventually passes, and I hope that's 40 50 years from 40 now, 40 years from now, 40, 45 days from now, uh, um, <laughs> I think you, I don't think you can ever do a roast again. Like, I don't know how you do it without him. It does feel like they might have to retire it. Yeah. I, the funny thing with him is I met him like in 02, got to know him pretty well through Jimmy and those guys. And you could clearly see the course of his life where it's like he idolized Rickles and those guys. And you knew like, when that guy's 70, he's going to be whatever that generation's version of Rickles is. Still banging it out. Still a great late-night show guest. Mm -hmm. And all of those beats. And he's on his way. He's the one comedian I know currently working today who could do a residency in Vegas. Until he's it, 95. And have it not be embarrassing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have it not be like, he wouldn't have to change his act. He wouldn't change anything. He could be truly be himself and enjoy it, I think. Whereas for me, and I know a lot of people, that would be uh, pure hell. Well, his... He just loves making fun of people. Mm -hmm. But he's he so walks good into at any it. room and he'll just see anybody and he'll be like, "Oh, look at this guy!" And then he's all of a sudden he's going. The speed roast stuff he does live now is amazing. I've I've done like we did a college together and he's like, "Come on stage with me and do the speed roast." Yeah. And usually we and I've seen him do it in, a, in an audience with you know a very like a like a, a very diverse audience and you've got all these different people. But in this college somewhere in New Jersey. It's like eight fucking white dudes who all look like Chad and then like one girl. And Jeff's just going down the line and he could tell, like, if I, if I'm like, I've got a joke, Jeff would throw to me, like, what do you got? But if I didn't, I'm like, I hope he doesn't call on me. He wouldn't every time. But I was like, afterwards, I was like, how did you know not to, that I didn't have a joke? And he's like, I've been doing this so long. I can just glance up at you and I know if you've got something or if I should just move on. Like I, wow. he can just move it so easily that it's uh it's like a, it's like a sixth sense. I did the first when I was writing for uh, Jimmy's show, he guest hosted for a week and we did speed roast on Hollywood Boulevard. And that was the idea. And it was like, so Jeff's going to go out and he's just going to speed roast people as they walk by. And I'm thinking like, how the fuck is he going to do this? Like, so he's just going to see the people and have a roast. And I was the writer assigned to it. And we went, we had the camera crew and I'm like, this is going to be a fucking disaster. This is going to be the worst. And then he did it for like an hour. Yeah. And he was just grabbing everybody. And then like, the you know how weird Hollywood Boulevard is. It was like, he was like a kid in a candy store. Well, he's gotten good. And like, I could never do that. If I started roasting people on Hollywood Boulevard, we get shot. Yeah, but yeah, like, right. but Jeff, people like want to be roasted. It's like an honor. Yeah. And like, they're delighted by it. They're delighted to be made fun of uh, by him that only he can really pull that off. I always like at the end of the roast when he, he's just crushed somebody for 12 minutes and he's like, with all that said, you're a great guy and you've been a great spirit and it's been an honor and I've been a huge fan. And he has a way of diffusing it in 10 seconds before the hug yeah. that nobody else is, is as good at. But everyone says those same words. You're like, suppose they like almost make you, but he's the only one who means it. Right. The only you one. Know, he everyone generally else does mean like, it. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what is the greatest roast joke that you've been the most jealous of that anyone ever told? Oh, uh, for sure. Uh, Colin Quinn talking about Artie Lang, I think saying Artie Lang did so much cocaine in the 90s, he once got a handwritten thank you note from Pablo Escobar. <laughs> <laughs> Just the idea of Pablo Escobar writing someone a handwritten thank you note for all the coke they did <laughs> killed me so hard. It was like the best joke of the whole roast. That's a great I'll, joke. I'll never forget that joke. You know, some of Norm's Weekend Update stuff is online now from the mid-90s when he's telling jokes like that, but the audience isn't laughing and he's just staring in the camera. I would watch a documentary of those three weekend update years that Norm did where he just like didn't care. Oh, yeah. You almost got that job, right? I mean, kind of, I, I auditioned you were, for you're it. You are in the mix I, for it. And I thought I was like, the word was like, it's, it's, it's looking good. You know, like it got to the point where they were like, Lorne Michaels asked for your phone number. 
Lauren Michaels doesn't call people with bad news. Yeah. Someone else. And then he, like a day went by and I was like, I'm not getting this. Something Is that happened. a good thing or a bad thing? At the time it was a bad thing. And now it's a good thing. Like I, I I've talked about this before, but like that, it, it was so, that was a dream. That was the only job I ever really wanted. But to go in and kill the audition where like you're in the suit and tie at the actual desk, the camera comes down and they say, ladies and gentlemen, with, for Weekend Update, Anthony Jeselnik. And when I heard that, it's the announcer, I just started laughing because I was so happy that at my audition, like, I just breezed through it. I had my own jokes. I got them to laugh and they never laugh. Yeah. And it was just Colin Yost having to tell the same jokes over and over again with just eight different people. That I was like, maybe I took it. And then I think it was just a thing of timing of like, Colin only been doing it for a couple of months. We're going to give him another chance at it. Uh, that I really haven't watched the show since, but I was just like, oh, it's so, it's so hard to get that close yeah. to a job like that, that I need, I need to just pour it all into the special. Like this whole special was like me getting over that. Oh, that really? So I'm, you were really traumatized by Oh, it. yeah. I mean, not traumatized, but it was a disappointment yeah. that I was just like, I'm not going to let, I didn't want the story of me to be like, oh, did you hear what almost happened for him? You know? Like, you know the guy, you know Doug Ray Scott? The no. actor? He was the bad, you would recognize him for sure. He's been in a bunch of movies. He was like the bad guy in Mission Impossible 2. I can't believe you just name dropped an actor and I'm drawing a blank. This is like the lowest moment of my 2019. This might, this might, you might realize, Doug Ray Scott wasn't the bad guy in Mission Impossible 2. They had to do reshoots. So we had to drop out of X-Men. He was going to play Wolverine. Oh. Gave it to Hugh Jackman. Oh. And Doug Ray Scott has never gotten over it. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be bitter about and about like an audition that didn't go well, no matter how badly I wanted it. I'm just going to make the next thing I do even better. And in the in the things that have happened to SNL over those years, I'm like, I don't know if I could have I don't know if I could have been there through the Trump episode. Not just because of like Trump being on the yeah. air, but like Trump telling me what jokes I'm going to tell. Like, no, that's never going to happen. That I don't know what I would have done, or if I if I would have lasted, or if the show I mean, the, the show might be better now than it would have been if I had gotten that job. But it certainly would have gone in a different direction. I liked your Comedy Central show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun, but it was, it was uh, I don't have many regrets on that because it, was, it wasn't meant to live forever. You know, yeah. it was so like pushing the envelope and the network at the same time. Like I'm working on a new Comedy Central show right now that's just designed to be easy to do. Like I don't, I don't want to fight with a network. I just want to go shoot it. You guys have notes. You can do it in the edit and, and we're done. But it's not... I think it'll be. I think it'll be as good, but it won't be. Uh, it won't be the same. Just, you know, fighting over joke after joke after joke. Yeah, yeah. Well, those days might be over. Now you can just get right to people. I think I that think whole so. day of the network notes thing is is heading toward a slow ending. I mean, even when I did my podcast with Comedy Central, they were like, we're, "You're going to have standards and practices," and I was like, "What do you mean it's a podcast?" And like, "Well, we sell our ads throughout the network, so yeah, you still can't do it." And I was like, "That's I'm not taking this deal." I have to do that. So in my contract, they're not allowed to give me notes on the podcast. Really? No, yeah. Because I was like, I'm the, who would sign up for this if they didn't have to? And our podcast isn't so offensive that you're worried about what you're going to say. Right. You know? But it's uh, all those rules are weird. And yeah, you can circumvent them easily now. What uh, What do the next couple of years look like for you? I mean, I'll do this show for a little bit. And I assume I'm going to want to jump back into stand-up. I think I have at least one more special left yeah. in me. But, uh, you know, I just turned 40 a few months ago and I'm looking at like, I, I used to think I would retire at 40 from stand-up, like still work and do things, but just be done with stand-up. But I think I got one more in me at least, if not two, maybe 50. When you're out the there, how many people are you playing to now? Anywhere from, I mean, if I'm doing a, if, if I'm doing a club, I sell out the club before I get to town. Yeah. You know, no matter how big it is or how small it is. If I do a theater. But how many people is that? I mean, it could be as many as like, you know, stand up live in uh, Phoenix seats 600. Yeah. So you saw five shows of that, you know, 3,000 people. But usually I'm, it's about 5, uh, 1,500 to 2,000 people. And I'm thinking if I, on the next tour, I'd probably in the 3,000 range just uh, from this special. You know, it's like Thoughts and Prayers built up goodwill. And now it's a different time for Netflix comedies. I think more people watch them. Just wait till be, you get the Ringer podcast. That's you be, oh my get god! Up to like five thousand. I'm going to use this as leverage. I'm going to be like, listen to me and Bill talk about how things could have been. My I'm contract, here. My contract's up in ten weeks. You can. Is steal it us. really? Mm -hmm. I said I. We have. We have the. Uh, it's not even going to be a stealing. Up. I'm just going to take it. We have the pickup. That's what I thought walking out of the SNL audition, man. You got to You got to. Uh, <laughs> I'll call you in one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Call. Uh, call. Uh, call. Can the you agent. do it every week though? That's the thing. That's the thing now that I want to pull back on. We we had we did a deal for forty in a year, 
Yeah. And I was like, I don't want, like, if I have time off, I don't want the only reason I ha- I'm stuck in LA to be the podcast. Yeah, and but you like, don't well, have you to can, do it in LA. You they can say do you can do anywhere. it on the phone, but I, do, I like doing it because I'm with my best friend and we're messing around. I don't want to do that over the phone. That, that's, a, that's a contractual obligation. I don't want to have to do that. So I think we might try to do, uh, try to do some fewer episodes. So I'd like to, I'd like to go live, live in Berlin for a month. You know, like now that I have kind of money and success and I can really go somewhere and write. I stayed in LA and wrote for a year before I started taking this hour on the road at all. I'd like to be able to go to another country and write. Sounds Berlin. Great. Yeah, Berlin was fun, Fucking man. Germans are there. Berlin was fun. I had a great time in Berlin. You make great cars. It's true. It's true. And um, they've, uh, they've lost some wars. All right, we'll talk. We'll negotiate. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, you've done a good job of not laughing too much I've during this. I've been keeping this. it under wraps. I've heard, I've heard you guffawing a lot. Yeah. He was excited for this one. Good, um, good. All right, Anthony, a pleasure as always. Always, man. All right, good, good to see you. See you.